Welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour, where today I'm very excited to be joined by Timo Stern. Welcome, Timo. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Great to have you on board. Um, so sorry we're not meeting face-to-face as planned in Berlin. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, but the circumstances are how they are, right? They are what they are, indeed, indeed. And I'm sure the, the value for the listener will, will be the same regardless. But if you are listening into the podcast, apologies if there's any internet cutouts or some funny sounds throughout with regards to audio. Obviously, these are remote podcast sessions, not face-to-face as I would prefer to record for you all, but hopefully you enjoy regardless. Now, this episode and every episode in the Product Coalition European Tour is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife in Australia. If you enjoy this episode, please consider showing your support for three amazing courses over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. You can actually choose between the volunteer firefighters, the wildlife and the National Bushfire Fund of Australia. Now originally I was planning to visit five cities across Europe and interview over 50 product leaders. For the most part now that will all be remote. Regardless I hope to bring you insights, knowledge and experience that you can really learn from as a global community. If you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We are a global product community with over 500,000 readers, 6,000 Slack members and thousands of podcast listeners. You can head over to platform.productcoalition.com to find out more about what we're about and grab a membership. Now, the donations of individuals and brands has been... um, significant and there's some some brands and people i'd like to firstly give a thanks thank you to first up is userpilot userpilot is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams userpilot helps to increase conversion user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to the first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs contextual product tours and onboarding checklists it allows product managers to build fully customizable behavior triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor Head to userpilot.com to book a demo and get a free trial. Shobit Chug is a Google product manager and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of through intentionalproductmanager.com. Head over to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Shobit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. I'd also like to thank Rich Miranoff and Chris Miles as individual significant donors as well. So Timo, we're going to chat about the blind side of product management. I like it. I like it. It's going to be good. Yeah, it will be. Um, before we get stuck in, do you mind getting us started with, with a little bit of your background and um, your path through product? Yeah, um, I started in 2009 in, uh, in the music industry. I, was in, uh, I studied audio engineering and stumbled into the music industry. And um, from then on, at some point, some, my boss asked me, like we were basically accompanying um, famous bands on tour and recording them live. We always need two audio engineers. So my boss came to me and said, like, hey, build something that I only need to send one. That was basically my my first mission. And um, we did. And it was, a, it was super cool because it was hardware and software at the same time. Um, and then later we acquired basically a, um, a music streaming service similar to Spotify. Right. Um, it was pre-Spotify times here in Germany. So we hope that we can capture enough market share before Spotify um, breaks through the German bureaucracy. Um, 
but it failed. And the number one lesson that I took from that was the distribution often is more important than a good product. Uh, we never had a good a growth channel. Um, and this was around about 2011 when the whole growth hacking thing started in, in the US. Um, so it was pretty early on, on that movement. And then, um, then I worked for Xing for three and a half years, which is German speaking LinkedIn and working on growth there. Uh, basically defending the market position of Xing versus LinkedIn. Um, and uh, then moved over to Lavu. Lavu is one of Europe's biggest uh, mobile dating apps. Um, direct competitor to Tinder and Badu here in, in Europe. And uh, became CPO there. Um, helped the company to be uh, acquired for 70 million. Um, and then now recently just introduced basically a new product line, uh, live video streaming which also made them a significant portion of, uh, of, of the growth of the company. And one and a half years after the acquisition, I left and started my own venture. And now I'm, I'm busy together with a friend, um, built a startup in, in the real estate space. Cool. Wow. Some big, big challenges you signed yourself up for along the way there. Love it. That's brilliant. So, so could you tell me, Timo, the blind side of product management, what, what, what was the, the driving idea behind this as, a, as an episode title? Mm -hmm. um, it was basically my experience from, especially now from Lavu being, being executive and now I'm, I'm coaching, still coaching a few, uh, a few product managers. So um, what I was observing in our community that there's a lot of um, two main things. So one, there's a lot of complaint about being more treated like a project manager than the product manager. And the second thing was that I realized that we are always asking, or I was always asked for, do you have a framework for this? Or do you have a tool or a method for this? And then I realized like, hey, maybe um, it seems very paradox to me because we all know that no solution is invented. Um, um, but everything is, uh, uh, no solution is discovered. Everything is invented over time, right? And we should know that by heart, but we're still seeking for the silver bullet. And while I think it's very, it's very human to be like that, um, it still misses the point. And those two things make me think about, okay, maybe there's something that we as a community also don't treat with enough respect and don't look at it enough. And um, yeah, that was the idea behind the, the blind side. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Let's get stuck into it a little bit more then. So, um, in the, in the show notes, you've mentioned that the, 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 the recent research by Product School that comes up with a conclusion that the number one reason PMs quit is bad management and leadership. Um, yeah. would, if you hadn't have seen that research, would you have said that's number one reason? Um, not for myself, but I would have expected it to be, be like that. I think it's also, again, it's very human to, um, to try to find the... Um, uh, the responsible person somewhere else, not in, in yourself. And I think that's one of the, the key issues that we, that we face here. It felt to me, this research was a little bit alarming to me because it felt like most of the PMs that took part of that research seemed like they saw themselves in a, in a victim's role. And I truly believe in how, how can you, how can you take responsibility for everything you do? And I'm not saying leadership teams do everything right. Um, but being an exec myself, I totally can understand where they're coming from. 
um, I'm sure you had similar experiences. So sometimes it's just a lack of trust in the PM function. It's not because you don't want to trust. It's just because the PMs often don't act trustworthy, at least in my eyes. Um, and sometimes when I'm confronting my mentees with that, um, it seems hard to them. Um, but I think sometimes they forget about some really core principles of product management. Yeah, definitely. Definitely some of the more hygienic points um, on the day-to-day piece. Um, I, I, I often find that when product managers come into the role, they come in with those best intentions quite high and um, you know some values around transparency and communication and trust establishment pretty fresh. But then over the tenure, um, it, they tend to let themselves become malleable to some of the the, the the bad practice of product management as well, the dark side of, of it. Um, what to you do you think holds product managers back from staying true to the craft of product management and the principles and um, you know, what, what's holding them back from truly being successful with that research in mind? I think most of it is, is just mindset. Most of it is just accepting that everything that you deal with is might not be it might not be everything that is in your control, but it's still the way you deal with it, right? There might be a decision from the CEO that you might not be comfortable with, but questioning why he reacted like that and why he maybe entered the room and overruled your decisions um, helps you to basically be prepared for the next time. And I think that's <clears throat> that's something that uh, many people forget um, because they try to be technically perfect. Um, but forget basically the context of their whole company. And obviously, when you deal with leadership, there are egos involved. That's definitely one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, when I when I speak to mentees about this, I often talk about that there's a slow side and a fast side to product mm-hmm. management. And I think the sexier piece is the fast side. Yeah. The, the, you know, build things learn quickly, run your experiments, all of the lean startup stuff that been preaching for 10 years, all of that stuff is the sex stuff. And then there's the slow side of product management, which is gaining trust, persuading people to change their minds, working with peers, um, understanding strategy, seeing things through over two to three years to, to get to long-term goals, et cetera. And I think for many coming into product management, they, the far side's the sexy side, you know, it's the far side is the stuff you can read the blog posts about. That slow side of product management can, um, can be where I think early frustration can set in and then causes some of those poor practice. Do you see product management in a, in a similar way to that, do you think? Yeah, I can agree. Um, I think it's, I mean, of course, every one of us joins because he wants to build things, right? And then over time, you realize that maybe building is just the smallest piece of the cake. Most of your, when I was working at Zing, for example, it was an 800 people company when I was there. Um, I think I, I managed three or four teams back then. And I rarely attended the standups, maybe once a week. Um, and that was okay because the teams were set up pretty pretty good. Um, they were pretty mature, so everything was working fine. Um, but it was a very different challenge, right? My main challenge was aligning the rest of the company around this whole initiative of growth and getting enough support for the initiative um, from other teams, for example. That was my main 
and responsibility, not so much building whatever I think is the right thing to do. Uh-huh. Um, but I agree. I think when, when we start, everyone wants to build. Yep. Yep. Um, can I ask when, when we think about um, discovery and delivery, um, with the um, with the research in mind, the number one reason PMs quit is bad management and leadership. Do you think that that's related to a certain phase of product management, either discovery and management around, you know, incubating new ideas and seeing if they're worthy of a build, or management around delivery practices? So bad practice, like here's a date we want something built by that date, or do you think it might be a, a blend of both? I think definitely the delivery part plays a big role. So when you read the rest of the uh, research, it also pops up from time to time. Also from what I know, when you uh, interact with people in the community, when you ask them what their biggest frustrations are, misinterpretation of a role is always one of the top, um, uh, one of the top answers. So I think this, um, and I think it's also pretty natural, at least here in Germany. And I mean, we're pretty good in e-commerce and, um, when you when you hear, for example, with the startup community, when they hire PMs, they think PMs are project managers because in e-commerce they are mostly project managers, um, at least from at least here in the community, and so that spreads a little bit. So the main expectation of the, um, I remember when I was hired at Lavu, they asked me like, "Can you make a team deliver fast?" That was their first question, and I knew like, "Okay, now we're talking." Um, but I knew what it was. I knew that was the challenge of the company right then um, and that I need to contribute to solve it and we'll then do the next step to, um, to, to, to mature the craft of product management and make, them, make clear what we, what we want to do. I think everyone likes doing discovery, right? I don't think, obviously we never get enough time for it. Um, it's again the fast side, right? You learn, learn, you um, can play around with ideas. That's always the fun piece. Um, but hunting down uh, deadlines, making hard trade-offs during execution when when you just discover a big technical roadblock maybe or whatever it is, it's not necessarily fun because then you need to go through the stakeholders and tell them like, hey, we either expand the timeline or um, cut scope. Um, my suggestion would be X, but um, it's not always a nice thing to <laughs> um um, to deliver as a message. So f- for the product leaders that might read that statement um, as to, you know, why product managers would, would quit, um, if they was to swallow it and go, okay, what, what needs to change? What is it around management and leadership you think does need to change to change the research 12 months from now? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's again, I think it's more on our side. I think PMs need to be very um, deliberate about how they communicate. I think often we even communicate. The CEO asks us for when is your product ready and what do we do? We respond immediately with, yeah, we, we are intending to ship it by end of next sprint. This is a project management message, right? He's asking us for the delivery and we're giving him the... Um, the information. So it's one, that's one uh, side of things. And the other thing is what I discovered, what many, especially people with builder mindset, what they lack is they are not confident in using the language of the exec. 
I, when I was CPO, you know, I had, um, I was more interested obviously in, in how the numbers are growing, how are things going because I trusted my people on, on execution. But of course I want to know like, Hey, how's it delivering? What are your thoughts on how do you move X? Um, do you think that's still a value, um, a hypothesis that we can stand behind whatever it is? And I think many, many, many PMs forget that, that their main sponsor, the exec, be it the CPO or the CEO, um, might require different information than, um, um, than, let's say, a colleague or whatever. Right. Great, great. So thinking back in time to younger Timo, <laughs> what would be the advice you'd, you'd give yourself um, for the path ahead, what would you do different? I think I would definitely, um, a few things. One thing is definitely stay flexible on, on solutions. So using frameworks and methodologies as tools in your toolbox and not necessarily as a given religion or whatever, um, or a given set of uh, artifacts that you need to follow. I'm always questioning those artifacts. Um, and then definitely learn quicker to speak language of XX. Learn quicker how to how to communicate progress on on an initiative which you are accountable for. Um, yeah, and I was lucky, really lucky that I had a good mentor right in the beginning. The first thing that he told me was, was like, "You're always you're basically the shield for the team. You take every everything that's going bad is yours." Um, and I think what that taught me is, is taking this full ownership of everything that is happening around your product um, because that also keeps away a lot of those finger pointing during execution. Who does the error? Who does the failure? doesn't matter, right? In the end, it's like, it was me. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing that, that helped me also to build rapport with the team and... Um, let them feel safe on whatever happens. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it sounds like your style is very similar to, to mine. Um, be front and center with, with the mistakes. Um, own it. And they might not be, the mistakes might be a too harsh a word. Um, but but own own it and own the transparency for, for the team and illustrate that to everyone around you. Um, and I think that's that's significant. Can, can I ask... What are, what are some of the skills that you've needed to pick up on the way that people don't obviously think about with regards to progressing through product management? So from you, day one of being a product manager, to 10 years ago plus now, um, there's product management as it's driven by curriculums, let's say product school or general assembly or, or whatever the education provider may be. But then I find that there's many other facets to product management that doesn't necessarily fit the curriculum. So for me, things um, like developing scrum knowledge and that product owner role in the agile space or um, product marketing and really understanding how to grow a product in, in market and sharpening sales and marketing. What, what, what have been some of the, the fast things you've had to jump on and learn that, that you probably weren't predicting? Yeah, definitely growth was definitely one of the things when right. I 
that the startup failed because we never could acquire profitably new customers. Um, though we had a very engaged audience, but we never made it. And um, that was definitely one of the biggest things. The other thing was, I think the biggest skill was putting, putting away your own ego and being pragmatic about all the solutions that are out there. And on the other hand, third, I would say is I discovered, um, especially coming to the back to, to agile, agile is promoting a lot of those servant leadership style. And uh, what I learned, it's, um, you can't be dogmatic about it, right? Every, every situation, every person is different. And there are people who, who are not, who do not want to be coached or whatever it is, or who are not there yet. And you need to take them by the hand. And it's very different from person to person. And also when I remember when I took over as a CPO, um, the company was in a crisis, right? Everyone was totally um, frightened by the situation that we are in. And we lost one third of our revenues and um, nobody wanted to, to take over that position. The only thing that convinced me to do it was uh, that um, user numbers were very stable and, and I saw the very engaged user group. Um, so I thought like, okay, there's some substance that you can build upon. And um, yeah, it finally worked out. But I think in that situation, for example, server leadership, I mean, I tried it and it didn't work. Um, what helped us then in this uh, situation was definitely more being more directional and saying, like, okay, we are doing this and this and this now um, until we reach goal X and then we can uh, go back to our usual uh, way of working. But for now, um, and I think it was at least the feedback that I got was very positive. I think that was what people expected from leadership in that position. It's like, okay, this is the way we go no matter what. And um, I take the responsibility for if it fails. Nice, nice. Timo, as I opened with, you've, you've taken on some big challenges throughout the career. You've, you've put your hat in the ring for some, some, some hard work along the way. Can I ask, for, for those that, that might be listening and are looking for a change of job or, or working for a new company, what, how do you go about looking for a challenge that's a good fit for you? Um, and, and working out what isn't a good fit for you. What, what, what are some of the things that go through your mind during that approach? Um, the first thing, I'm, I'm very much, very much a, a goals guy. So I always ask the, um, the, the CEO or the head that, I was, that interviewed me, like, how do you know that I'm doing a great job after 90 days? Um, that was my number one question. And second one was, which was also interesting, is... Um, what is the, the one thing that keeps your CEO awake at night? Um, those two things gave me a good sense of, um, is that the right fit for me? Um, and obviously, sure, where do they want to go? What's their vision? Where, um, how do they think that I can play a role in that system? Um, and that, that helped a lot. So basically, my main learning was always go in those interviews. This is a two, two-way street. And they also need you to come in. It's not only that you need a job, it's also they need to fulfill a role. And if you speak then on, on the same levels, um, that usually turned out to be far better. Timo, you got one of the biggest smiles I've seen on the podcast whilst, whilst yeah. interviewing someone, which is great. So I've got another one for you on a similar line. How do you know that you're going into an organization that's got a culture that's going to make you happy? 
So outside of the product management practice and the goals of the organisation, the softer stuff, how, how do you identify fit there for yourself? Um, the, the best thing I usually did was either um, doing a video call with, with some people uh, that I will work with, um, like, and or if you're on site, the best thing I discovered was just going out for lunch and just talk in a group. Yeah. Um, that usually gave me a good sense of um, of if that is a, an environment that I want to work in. And I did also the same when I was hiring. I was always insisting of okay, I want you guys to work together in a group so that you get a feeling of how, if the chemistry works. I think yeah. the chemistry is the most one of the most important things in hiring. Um, skills can be taught, but chemistry is um, it's, it's really, um, and the, the last thing, my main secret in hiring and being hired always was when I'm, I'm sleep, sleeping one night over it. And, and if I wake up and I'm still excited about it, then it's good. Nice. Nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. And is there, is there anything that different you do when, when you're looking to hire people um, or tactics you use to, to sort out very rapidly when looking, either looking through CVs or kicking off those first interviews that you look for that, that, that helps you identify exceptional product managers? Yeah, I, I think the number one thing that I um, discovered looking at, at CVs was when they're more speaking about results than what they built. I was not so much interested in what they built and what features they built. And it sometimes depends on the industry. Obviously, when they have more backend related features or coming, um, then what they built might be interesting. But in general, I was more looking into, okay, what did they deliver? Um, what was their contribution to whatever they worked on? And yeah, I think that was the number one, my number one filter looking at CVs. Nice, nice. I, I have the same comment when I look at, view cvs is where's the numbers you know product, yeah. product management uh, from a cv perspective is a numbers game and then let's talk about your contribution in the interview but um great great thanks so much for talking through timo this has been um, a really enjoyable session yeah thanks for having me it was a lot of fun it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Hopefully for those watching on YouTube or listening into the podcast, you've also enjoyed this time with Timo and I. If you have, please remember that this time is dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire-affected communities of Australia. If you'd like to support either the Volunteer Firefighter Service or the Wildlife or the National Bushfire Fund of Australia, um, you can do so over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. Those communities are certainly taking a, a big second hit this year with the lack of tourism that will now here australia so my thoughts go go to those people particularly thanks again timo it's been a pleasure thank you and thank you all for listening speak to you soon